1: Welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon, SB Nation's blog about the Columbus Blue Jackets. We have some great topics today. I am William Chase, joined by Pale Dragon. What's going on, PD? Hey, Will. And also Eric Seeds. What's going on, Eric? Hey, guys. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. So, we'll go ahead and get started. So, I saw an article the other day about the NHL discussing the idea of potentially playing games in empty and neutral sites. So no fans would be there, should the season or playoffs return for the rest of 2019 and 20. Wanted to get your guys' thoughts. PD, you want to go ahead and lead off with this one?
2: So on a very selfish level, I love the concept because I am just so desperate for <laughs> fresh live sports to watch, same team, to like- follow, and to write about. That being said, uh, I feel like they're just way too many logistical hurdles still for this kind of thing to happen um you know first of all you obviously you're you want to get the situation where everyone involved is confirmed negative for coronavirus and then are able to somehow be kept free from exposure to it from any sort of outside contact uh, which is going to be tricky to pull off Uh, and also assuming that the tests are accurate assuming that they have enough tests, which considering that just the general public is having trouble getting sufficient tests and number of tests, um, that seems like a a tall order at this point. Um, Then there's also the issue of just getting players back um, because a lot of guys went home and crossed borders to do so. So the idea of them traveling back from their homes to wherever they're playing, that's going to be an issue for some guys, you know, handling visas and things of that nature. Uh, And then finally, how much lead-up time are they going to get? You know, are they going to jump right to the playoffs and have guys coming in in cold? Because that's not going to give you entertaining hockey to watch. And it's going to leave the players much more susceptible to being injured. Um, And how much time do they have to have exhibition games, to maybe play some of the regular season, to maybe have some play-in games for the playoffs? Um, I'm glad that they're thinking about it. I'm glad they're coming up with creative ideas. I just feel like there's way too many things in the way for this particular plan to actually come through.
3: I totally agree. Selfishly, I'm starved for live sports, like I, to, to the point that I'm considering watching the NFL draft. Like, <laughs> I mean, I guys, I miss sports a lot. Like, it it is breaking my soul apart. But at the same time, like you like, like you mentioned, PD, there's like just too many logistical hurdles at this point. I've been on record on this podcast, as well as on Twitter in person, um, that the NHL should just cancel the season, and rather than Rush these guys back either with an abbreviated training camp or just go straight into the playoffs or whatever and risk injury or risk disruption of next season. Gary Bettman and the NHL Board of Governors has been on record as saying that the thing that they are prioritizing the most right now is next season. They don't want to have disruption of two seasons. And coming back, those of you who've listened to this pod have heard me talk about how I listen to Puck Soup. Some of those guys are really good insiders. And uh, Wyshynski was talking the other day about how... uh, the feeling around the league among the players is that they would need a minimum two to three week training camp to get back into like game shape to like go for a playoff stretch so even if they came back tomorrow and started this training camp which is obviously incredibly on un- like it's utterly impossible but that would mean they're not starting until may 2nd for at, at the earliest for these playoffs so and that's that's not even including any regular season games that the league might try to do to even the standings out or something. It's just there's too many logistics at this point. I don't see it happening. Although it's it's interest, it, It's nice to see that this league, as well as I'm sure the NBA, Major League Baseball, um, even the NFL and college basketball, or college football uh, leadership groups are having discussions on. Okay, when 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 the medical experts and the people who run all of these testing models and run run all these public health studies say that it's okay like you guys can start making preparations to get back that at least the these leagues are trying to be prepared for whatever eventuality that is although some of the venues they've announced have been kind of cool like I know the University of North Dakota arena, supposedly it's really nice. It's just happened to be founded by one of the worst people in America. You know, at least they're tr- they're, they're trying to figure out ways to get this done. We'll just have to see what happens and kind of just play it by ear day by day. As PD said, this is all obviously contingent upon testing and whether it's okay to put groups of people in these massive shared environments. And we won't know that until we have more
2: testing. What I wouldn't mind seeing them announce as far as a plan it would be certain benchmarks that would need to be hit. And and I feel like this is something that I'd like to hear from public officials as well. You know, like, don't give a a certain date or necessarily a timeline in terms of when things can go back to normal or start to go back to normal, but at least give benchmarks. Like, we need to get to, you know— this kind of testing regime being placed, this number of tests per day, we need to get down to this number of positive cases on a daily basis, you know, these kind of things. So we can at least follow along with new data as it comes in to see how close are we getting to the benchmarks? You know, so I think the league could go in the same thing. Like, hey, we need, you know, the overall numbers in the community to be to this level before we can start getting into executing our plan. And then maybe have like a drop dead date. Like if we are not at a certain point... By May thirty first, I I think we, the NHL, have to, we have to decide at that point that that we're, we're just going to you know throw yeah. in the towel and start focusing on hoping that things can start on their normal you timeline know, in you know September. Yeah,
1: the NHL needs. Well, I get that they're trying to exhaust all opportunities and all uh, possibilities, but. At some point, we're going to have to get to a point where it's like, regardless of what could still potentially happen, maybe in June or July, the NHL is just going to have to say, okay, if we're not able to do this by this date, we're going to have to focus for next season completely, because we already know the Calgary Flames, for instance, are under, you know, they they wouldn't be, the city of Calgary and the Flames included would not be able to participate in anything before, I think it was like June 30th, so, and they are potentially... Including the Western Conference Finals. (laughs) uh, Yeah, exactly. So, I mean... If if a potential playoff team could be excluded based on what's happening anyway, how would they? How would that work? And again, it's the logistics of it all. One of the one of the options. Uh, one of the things I saw in the NHL.com article about this topic was somebody, threw out the idea of playing all the teams in Europe, and it was like they were saying, you know, the, the deputy commissioner uh, Bill Daly was saying it's intriguing or interesting, but very unlikely, and I, I definitely cannot see mass travel as far as airplanes going to europe or anything like that but
3: right because because if you send the guys if you send them to europe to finish this now granted europe's obviously ahead of us on the curve at least most countries some just,
2: some, some countries not some, I, I say hey yeah. some some <laughs> but
3: uh <laughs> there's, there's 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 massive logistical hurdles about getting them to europe to you know for a two-month playoff run like not only are, could these guys possibly get infected, but you know you've got pla- you got flight crews, you've got trainers, yep. you've got nutritionists, mm-hmm. you've got coaching staff. You got uh, you know these are these guys gonna be without their families for two months. There's so many, and, and that's and you know that that those same issues are here even with like quarantining four teams in North in Bismarck and four teams in I don't know Manitoba or yeah. wherever you want wherever mm-hmm. you want to do it. It's just there's so many logistical hurdles i I, like i again i appreciate them trying this and again like pd said you know some benchmarks to hit would be ideal here you know at least like right you know where you know it's kind of like our very own playoff race that we're chasing here how you know could we could we be getting closer to live sports but again but that's all dependent on how much testing is available how much um you know how much we slow the spread of this, how well everyone's doing with social distancing, and to their credit, it seems like a lot of people are doing really well. Uh, and I
2: think, and I think they've at least narrowed it down. We, we know that if, if this season is going to resume in any form, that it will not be played in front of fans, and it will most likely not be played in home arenas. You know, we can't afford to have that kind of travel back and forth from sites. It'll have to be groups of teams, it, you know, staying together, playing series or a couple of series with you know, among the, a group of players. Yeah.
3: Like you said, the met, like the Metro in one area, the, the central in one area. Exactly. Whatever.
2: Yeah. So, so not, not traveling between games, not playing in front of fans. Um, I like the idea of maybe playing them at, um, minor league or junior hockey venues, because you obviously don't need the capacity of an NHL arena um, so, I think it was either Scott Burnside or Perry LeBrun wrote about this. And um, so, smaller venues could definitely be in play. Uh, the, just the issue then would be would they be able to set them up for broadcasts? Um, you know, would they, have, would they have the right camera angles, the right lighting? Um, and then, you know, would they, would you even need broadcasters on site? You would maybe just need camera operators and the announcers could be offsite like they do for this one's the world cup and the Olympics.
3: One other issue, one other issue with that would be, uh, housing the teams. Like I know Mm -hmm. that there's wherever, uh, wherever the university of North Dakota is, I think it's Bismarck, but regardless, um, they were, they were talking about how there's limited like hotel space in that, in that area. So you, you have to like... Idea, like if we're talking smaller venues, uh, send, play the national or play the Stanley Cup Finals at the Goggin in Oxford, Ohio, because it's the most beautiful <laughs> hockey arena I've ever set foot in. It's gorgeous, but there's obviously no hotels in Oxford, Ohio. But yeah, so, so there's just immense logistical hurdles. But I give them credit for at least looking for ways to
2: try to get this done, and you know, what was interesting is is one of those articles mentioned even throughout. Um, Columbus as a city, if they were to use certain NHL cities, you know, we are one that would have the hotel space and would yeah. have multiple facilities for playing games, because we obviously have Nationwide Arena, the Ice yeah. House, it didn't mention uh, the Schottenstein Center, but obviously that, you know, there's, right. Uh, right. Yep. that could be set up for hockey as well, and, you know, for broadcasting hockey, because they broadcast basketball and hockey games from there, so that could be another thing to consider.
1: Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the Olympics when you consider like a bunch of teams playing at one or a few spots in the area and just trying to figure out then where to to put everybody. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. So during this sports hiatus, Espionation will be launching theme weeks across all leagues in the network. So this week we begin with the best teams and players that have never won a championship. Seeds, I'll go ahead and start with you. What comes to mind?
3: Well, if we're going to talk about the, uh, the best Columbus Blue Jackets team to never win the Stanley Cup, obviously we're going to go with the uh, 2011 12 Columbus Blue Jackets that finished with 65 <laughs> points on the <this> season. <laughs> <laughs> obviously.
1: 65 no uh it's guys it's (laughs) last year's team like
3: they 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 swept the best regular season team arguably in nhl history the blue jackets were utterly they were they were dominant in that lightning series and they they just got too beat up against the bruins before they could uh really fulfill that destiny they had a 2-1 series lead uh going into game four and just blew it they you know they win game 4 they probably win that series and then who knows from there boston went on to be the stanley cup finalist i remain convinced to this day whoever whoever won that bruins blue jacket series is going to the stanley cup final because that carolina hurricanes team was incredibly overrated my apologies to several friends from EverydayShouldBeSaturday.com saturday.com and sebastian Ajo. but uh i I, did, I but last year i mean the Blue Jackets, for, for once, last for the first time in franchise history last season, had two really, really good centers in Matt Duchene and PLD. They had an absolute game breaker in Artemi Panarin, and they had they had a a, a legit top pairing in Zach Werenski and Seth Jones, and they had a solid goaltender who was finally overcoming his playoff demons in Sergei Bobrovsky. And the guys it's like Gavrikov. Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah, Gavrikov came over. Depth, just uh, Alex Texier was just making his debut. But, yeah, that, that, that it's the best team that Columbus has ever iced in franchise history last season. It took them a little while to click after the deadline, but, man, once they did, that's that team just rolled through the lightning. And for those of you like me who watched the, like, playoff replay on Fox Sports Ohio, that series wasn't really all that close, like, Mm, Tampa, nope. Tampa won game, won the first period of game one, and then Columbus just kind of like beat them into the ground over mm. the next fifteen periods or whatever it was. Like it was
2: wild. Yeah, I, I, I will say a little something for the twenty eighteen team because I was just reminded of that this week. Um, someone online had the prompt about you know a game you've attended that was just you know two heavyweights. Sending their best blows at each other, and and I was reminded of the of Game Three against Washington in 2018. Uh, remember that game went to uh, double overtime before it ended, and it was it was a close game. Both teams were, were bringing their best. Both goalies were playing outstanding hockey, and the Jackets had their chances to win it. There was at least once or twice in overtime where Semi Panarin hit iron with a shot. And had one of those shots gone in, then the Jackets would have been up three nothing. And if they were up three nothing that series, they're probably going to close it out. Um, and that Caps team went on to win the Stanley Cup. So had the Jackets beat the Caps that year, could the Jackets have followed that same path and won the Cup like the Capitals did? They did beat Ve- they did yeah. beat Vegas twice that year. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny, too. I I, I I have fun going to the road games, so, and I was at Game 5 in that Washington series. So I love being one of the few Jackets And I see more Jackets fans popping up around D.C. now, but it's fun being one of the few, you know, fans for the away team and hearing the boos when they take the ice and everything. But there's no more sinking feeling than when that capped horn goes off for a goal or something and everybody goes crazy and you're just sitting there like in isolation, it feels yeah. like. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Being in Game Five and that that I think it was, well, it was an overtime loss for sure, um, yeah, that was that's that stunk.
2: Now I think we also need to talk about the the team that was the best record that the Jackets have had, which was in 2017. Um, yeah, but but that was a team that kind of limped down the stretch. I was looking back at the the roster from Game One to just refresh my memory as to who was on that end. It was mostly the roster from their big winning streak, except. Ryan Murray and Marcus Nuvar were both hurt, and so you had Scott Harrington and Gabriel Carlson as the third pair, and they both played less than 10 minutes in Game 1. But the forwards were still the same, so should that team have done more in the playoffs than they did?
3: Probably, but there were two, probably, uh, yeah. but there were two yeah. things holding them back. One, the power play had been figured out and was Pittsburgh. hot and garbage for three solid months by that point. Second, uh, this team has a mental block against the Pittsburgh Penguins, and for whatever reason,
1: Sidney Crosby owns yes. them mentally. and I think Gensel also went crazy in that series, too. Yeah, yeah, Jake Gensel went nuts. And, of course, the Wierenski thing. We're not going to go into that, <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, I mean, that season was fun just because the team was 27-5. I don't know, some stupid gaudy record, and just it was insane, obviously, with the, the winning streak and everything that happened. By Christmas time, I think they were first in the league, and we knew that type of play wasn't necessarily sustainable, but...
3: They were first in the league on New Year's Day Best thing I remember ever. Writing an article I, and even about it. I was
1: like this is this is awesome but yeah I, I had more hopes for that series even though it was Pittsburgh and I was hoping they would be able to turn it on but I guess you know it's fun looking back because that kind of helped set this sort of newer standard we've seen with the team the last few years making the playoffs and everything but I was definitely hoping for more than a five game series loss to Pittsburgh.
3: Do you guys have a, a pick for the best NHL team to never win a title?
2: Oh, I, I feel like the Sharks right away. <laughs> yeah, or maybe that, uh, that Preds team yeah. that also lost to the uh, Penguins.
3: I'm going to go with a different team. Um, this, team obvi- this team obviously has won a lot of titles in their career or in their team history, but I'm going to go with the 95-96 uh, Red Wings. Get a load of this roster. I'm just going to read some names for you guys. Sergey Fedorov, Steve Eiserman, Slava Kozlov, uh, Dino Sorelli, Darren McCarty, Paul Coffey, Nick Lidstrom, Slava Fetisov, Vladimir Konstantinov, Chris Osgood, Mike Vernon. And they got s- destroyed in the uh, Western Finals by Colorado. This, this Detroit team went 62 13 7. They lost five games total in the Joe all year. They scored 325 goals and allowed 181. That's disgusting.
1: I was watching the replay of the Penguins, uh, Red Wings back-to-back finals appearances from about a, oh, over a decade ago now uh, on NBC yesterday, and I was thinking about Detroit. Now, I, you know they've won four cups between the late '90s and you know into the 2000s. But I was thinking that team should have won more. I'm mean, they're always in the in the race every year, obviously. And obviously the playoffs are kind of we've seen parody play out, but. I think Zetterberg only had, like, one cup in his career. Datsuk had two, which, I mean, isn't anything to sneeze at. But it just seems like those Red Wing teams probably could have won more than they
2: did, really. Yeah, I think it does go to show you just how crazy the playoffs can be. And I guess we're missing the obvious choice for probably the greatest NHL team to not win a cup, which is last year's Tampa Bay Lightning. Right, (laughs) yeah. yeah, yeah, Yeah.
3: I believe the points total is a tie between them and that Red Wings team. But, yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah, at least <laughs> that Red Wings win made the Western Finals, <laughs> but man. Yeah, uh, my my heart goes out that Nick Lindstrom did not win more Stanley Cups because he is, for my money at least, the best the best defenseman to ever play the game. Yes, I hear you, Boston, sit down. Nick, Nick Lindstrom was called the
2: perfect human for a reason. C- Counterpoint, he played in Michigan, therefore screw him. It's true. <laughs> I wonder if Renski was a fan of his growing
1: up. I mean, I would assume, but...
3: One know. one would have to assume. Also, shouts to Zach Wierenski for getting an adorable puppy yesterday. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. It's
3: on his it's on his Instagram if you guys want to check it out.
1: So when it comes to other sports, baseball, basketball, football, whatever, other teams not to have won, some of the better teams, what, what comes to mind for you, PD?
2: Well, for the player that I like to bring up a lot when this kind of conversation comes up is uh, Joe Thomas. Yes. Because... He was one of the greatest left tackles in the history of football, and he didn't even reach the playoffs. The Browns won 10 games his rookie year and somehow missed the playoffs with a 10-6 record. Uh, After that point in his 11-year career, only one other time did the Browns lose less than 10 games. And this was a guy who was a six-time All-Pro, 10 Pro Bowls, did not miss a snap until suffering the elbow injury that ended his career, and he didn't. He never reached the playoffs. So that that is, certainly has to be in the conversation is one of the the biggest shames, or, or at least one of the biggest gaps between individual talent and team achievements.
1: I was just thinking of like Barry yeah, Sanders and all those years yeah. in Detroit. He played.
2: He he played in like five playoff games.
1: <laughs> Calvin Johnson. Yeah. Well, still, though. They probably should have done more. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just going to – obviously,
3: I'm not going to turn this in. I don't, I don't think Dayton deserves to be in this conversation, but it's a crime that Obi Toppin never got to play in the NCAA tournament. They missed the tournament his freshman year, and obviously this year all of this happened. Um, my vote is actually a college basketball team, and it's going to go to the uh, 84 uh, Houston Cougars basketball, uh, Hakeem and Clyde Drexler's f- uh, 5 slam a they went to the they went to the final four three straight years. They went to the national title game two years in a row, and free throw shooting is the reason they lost uh, both national titles. So, uh, make your free throws, kids.
1: When it comes to baseball, for me, I always think about teams like the Texas Rangers who went to back to back World Series. They were literally a strike away in 2011 against the Cardinals, blew that game, lost game seven. You know, they were probably one of the better underrated teams that people probably forget about, just stacked. Um, I also think about the Detroit Tigers. They couldn't get it done twice. First in 2006, they lost to the Cardinals. And then in 2012, they were swept by the Giants. I'm sure to PD's delight, but um,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's
1: it's just funny. It's just crazy, I guess, talking about maybe the parody in playoffs that we see in baseball and uh, hockey and not so much in... Well, I don't know. We don't really see those upsets in the NBA as much. We saw the Mavericks go down years ago to... Who was it? Golden State, wasn't Golden it? Before State, Golden State, State yeah. came in power. Baron Davis, Golden State. <laughs> and we're definitely going to have more this week with some articles talking about the best teams and players not to win a championship. So check those out on jacketscanon.com and across the SB Nation network. So We're going to go ahead and go into final thoughts. Go ahead and take it away, Seeds.
3: My final thought, I've got a... I've got an excellent... I know I know we're all looking for some good news here, so I just want to give a shout-out. Um, my best friend in the world, Jeremy, and his wife Dawn had their first baby the other day, the little baby Wyatt Nash Friday. Uh, he's he's spent the last couple of days in the NICU, but he's off of the ventilator, and uh, they're looking forward to bringing him home in the next couple of days. Everything's looking really positive with him, so uh, I just want to give a shout-out to, yeah, my, my best friend in the world and his wife. Uh, congratulations on welcoming your first child, and... Uh, I look forward to getting up there and meeting him when all this is over.
2: Yeah, and I guess we, and we could shout out uh, Ryan Real as well who, uh, his wife had had her baby back before all this, right before all this started, so hopefully they're hanging in there. Yeah, uh, congratulations Ryan, you know, definitely. Their, their new baby, so. My final thought is a shout out to um, all of the amateur bakers out there. Um, I am part of your crew. Uh, this is something I got into last winter, um, and so just this, this morning, I baked a couple different loaves of bread. Uh, this is the first time that I've made the time for it here during the quarantine, but uh, it's something that I enjoy. It's something satisfying to to make something from scratch and then to enjoy the fruits of your labor. So whether you're getting into baking or cooking or just any sort of other thing creative, I, I enjoy seeing the the creativity that is being tapped into by people uh to make the best out of this bad situation.
1: Yeah. I saw your bread Twitter tweet. That was cool. So I have two real quick thoughts. First, I want to express condolences to the family and friends of Oilers forward Colby cave, who passed away after suffering a brain bleed last week. But I also wanted to remind everybody. And on a positive note that a year ago today, the blue jackets took out the lightning five one to take a two nothing series lead. So of a fun thing to think back on as we obviously we were watching it play out this past week on Fox Sports Ohio and just thinking about the team and where they were a year ago today.
2: And I have to say, I, I watched a couple of those games on replay and I enjoyed them a lot more than I thought it was, or, or, or got more emotional and more into them, you know, I, just seeing the end of, of game four last night. um you know, that excitement washed over me again, and, and I got goosebumps, you know, just watching the the celebration on the ice after the game, and then when they cut to the desk the first time, and, you know, Bill Davidge w- was speechless, you know, he was just so uh, filled with emotion that it, he had trouble getting the words out to express how he was feeling, But and that uh, just it g- gave me good feelings again to see that again, so uh, it was nice to be able to watch those games again.
3: Yeah, also, I forgot how loud it was in the arena that night, like... Oh, my word. I, so I was there for game three. I wasn't there for game four. Um, it was just watching it on TV. It was incredible because when I watched it, when I watched game four happen live, I was in a roosters across the street from my apartment. And watch watched game four. There's excellent video of me jumping around this roosters when Panarin scores the empty netter. Um, there's excellent video of me like terrifying the people sitting around me. But I immediately cashed out our tab, and we went straight down to our bar just to celebrate with everyone we know. Because, like, where else do you want to be on a night like that other than the Arena District? So it was super cool to just remember those memories and just throw yourself back into, oh, my gosh, this team is making history right in front of our eyes. It was super, super cool. So thank you to Fox Sports Ohio for re-airing
1: that. Definitely a fun thing to think back on for sure. Well, that's just going to about do it for us this week. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Pearlie and the Howland Moons off of their album Homemade Vision. Angela's newest album is called 430, and you should definitely go check it out. She's also on tour right now, so go check her out at AngelaPearlie.com. And you should also check out Angela Pearlie on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for videos and live stream concerts from her home during this stay-at-home period. Rate us and leave us a review on iTunes, and as always, we welcome your comments and questions. You can tweet at us at CBJCanon and comment on jackascannon.com. From all of us at the Canon, thank you for listening and we will see you next week.